Oh, I think we ought to clap our hands under the Lord and celebrate a victorious God. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Amen. Speaking of pushing back the darkness, we uh, celebrate our prison ministry and great job that Brother Jeff Blackman and his team are doing uh, last night. They had uh, 71 uh, inmates that come voluntarily to the service, and they had a great church service, and had one filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost for the very first time, and another one getting ready to be baptized in Jesus' name. How many of you know the light of God's love is what pushes back the darkness? There's a lot of darkness in this world. The Bible said, greater is he that is in us. If you've got light in you, let it shine. Amen. City that is set on the hill, the Bible describes the church. And so we are excited about all of our different ministries and all the different volunteers and each and every one of you that stand for righteousness on a daily basis, your jobs and schools and home and Amen. It's pushing back the darkness. Hallelujah. You know, it's an amazing thing. You can go into a room and it'd be totally dark and you just flip a switch. And when light and darkness come together, which one always wins? Light. The darkness dissipates. We're not sure where it goes. It doesn't go under the pew. It doesn't go out the door. It just goes. Because light and darkness, when they clash, light always wins. Hallelujah. I'm glad I'm on the winning side today. He is the light of the world. God bless you this morning. Thank you so much for coming. Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 30. I want to read one verse in your hearing this morning. Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 30. Of course, the Lord speaking here through the prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me, for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Those are the sobering words of that verse, those last four words, but I found none. This is not something that is easily accomplished. It's not something that the masses line up for. But yet the Lord said, I'm looking, I'm looking for even a man. I prayed this morning and said, Lord, if there's only one person that gets this, it'll be worth it. That should make up the hedge and stand in the gap. Almost 21 years ago, I spent the summer in, in England studying at Oxford and I spent a lot of time in London and their subway system over there, the tube, underground subway system, is uh, the system they use to manage all the people going here and there and everywhere. But every time a train would come into the station, as you're standing there waiting on your subway car to get there, there was a computerized voice that always said, man the gap, man the gap. thought it said man the gap. They were actually saying, mind the gap. 
So I was trying to figure out, mind the gap, mind the gap. What in the world does that mean? And they said it so much, it was like you were saying it in your sleep. And it dawned on me that whenever the cars came in from the platform to the car was a little bit of a gap. And they were saying, mind the gap, which means, you know, be mindful of the fact that there's a gap. We don't want you to fall in the gap. Which you'd have to be a really skinny person to fall in the gap. But even stumbling, I guess, was an issue. I'd go home at night in my dormitory and mind the gap, mind the gap, mind the gap. I determined that one day I would preach a message called mind the gap. That was 21 years ago, but today for the very first time, I want to speak on the subject, mind the gap. Mind the gap. I wonder right now if we could just lift our hands and hearts. Lord, we're thankful for the opportunity and the privilege to be in your house. We're thankful, God, that you've allowed us all to come together in your name, to worship you and to exalt you. What a privilege it is, God, to gather in your house. I pray that you would anoint hearts and minds, Lord, so that your word would go forth and fall on good ground and lives and hearts would be changed. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Since the beginning of World War II, the strategists in Washington and even the British Coastal Command had no solution on how to stop the German U-boats from sinking the Allied merchant ships that were trying to move supplies across the Atlantic Ocean. There was a long, wide stretch of ocean southeast of Iceland that Atlantic convoys had to pass through, but there was no patrol planes that, that had the range to reach and to cover these convoy ships as they attempted to move supplies over into the European front. This area that was so far out in the middle of the North Atlantic that it was beyond the range of any of our airplanes became known as the Atlantic Gap. It became a great kill zone for the German U-boat wolf packs and the graveyard of a dozen of Liberty ships and their crews coming out of America and bringing supplies to England was too far from either coast for the American or the British planes to be able to patrol and then to return back safely before running out of fuel. So the ships would sail out into this Atlantic gap, uncovered and unprotected, and they became sitting ducks to the German U-boats that were patrolling silently under the water. And the number of merchant ships that they sank was almost beyond number. It was totally crippling the efforts of the Allied forces to join American and European forces together and to supply this front that they were fighting as Germany was marching across Europe. Since September of 1941, the British had been ordering uh, B-24 bombers through a program that was called Lend-Lease, which was a program where we loaned the British the money to buy the planes that we were producing in hopes that these long-range bombers could, could close the so-called Atlantic Gap. A number of the B-24s coming out of the, the massive Willow Run plant that was built in Michigan for the purpose of building B-24s would then go to modification centers in Birmingham and San Diego where the, the engineers would try to beef up the airframe and, and they took suggestions from the, from the British and they installed extra fuel tanks in one of the three massive bomb bays that were on the B-24 bombers. and 
This gave the plains a, a range of 2,850 miles. And these modified B-24s became known as the, the VLR Liberators or Very Long Range Liberators. These planes began to change the course of the war in the Atlantic and it, and it opened the way for the Allied fighters to be able to come together and would work in harmony, America and their European allies. Carrying almost 3,000 pounds of fuel, the VLR could fly to the middle of the Atlantic and back from either Iceland or Greenland or Ireland. And once the engineers in Birmingham acclimated the plane to the near-Arctic conditions in the North Atlantic, suddenly the Atlantic gap didn't look so large. In fact, in the spring of 1943, the, the VLR Liberator slammed the gap shut. Because in the first 20 days of March of that year, the, the Germans sank 97 Allied merchant ships, more than a half a million tons of supplies. But in the last 10 days of that same month, as the skies filled up with the vigilant patrol of VLR Liberators, the Allied convoys only lost one ship. They went from 97 lost ships in the first 20 days to the last 10 days only losing one ship. For the rest of April in 1943, the battle seesawed back and forth with the loss of a, of a U-boat matching the loss of a merchant ship, and those were not numbers that Germany would be able to sustain. But the turning point came on May the 4th when, a, when an American convoy came under attack after it had been battered by gales off the southern tip of Greenland. And the U-boats sensing a large kill, they, they all moved in from all directions. And in the course of doing that, the liberators counterattacked and, and the Germans ended up losing six subs and several more were damaged. And a few days later, another attack by the Germans backfired and several U-boats were sunk and one U-boat skipper who perished in the fight was a man by the name of Peter Donitz. He was the youngest son of the commander of the Germans' navy. Attacks in the next four convoys cost the Germans six more U-boats, two of them killed by VLR liberators. And Every one of the Allied freighters in that particular convoy got through unscathed. And finally, the Admiral, Carl Donitz, the one who had just lost his son, this German commander of the German Navy, he had to sit down and do the dismal math, which he did. And on May 24th, he called off the Wolf Pact. Germany pulled back all of their U-boats. They had lost the battle for the Atlantic. Because the Allied forces had figured out how to close the Atlantic Gap. Ladies and gentlemen, all of us have in our life gaps. Areas that we are vulnerable or we're exposed. Sometimes if it's not in a, a certain area, sometimes it's in a certain season of time. When maybe through loss or, or disappointment a gap is created. Sometimes it's just the, the inconsistencies in our own actions that, that even we cannot explain. Sometimes we have questions of why God would allow that to happen or why the pastor is doing that or why did a spouse leave or why did a child not serve God. And gaps are created sometimes even without us being aware of it. It is common to all of us in our humanity. 
And ladies and gentlemen, the only way that we can be victorious in this life of faith is that we have to learn how to mine the gap. We have to find a way to modify our lifestyle, our attitudes, our spirits, our actions, so that we can get liberated from the unseen forces that lurk just beneath the surface. There's many times when you can't see the enemy. That was one reason why the U-boats were so successful. They were beneath the water. They were invisible to the naked eye. And so because of that, it was a silent attack. And ladies and gentlemen, sometimes, though we do not realize it, we have an attack on our mind, on our spirits, on our thought process, on our homes, on our health, on our finances. And we don't realize it, but it causes a question. It causes a gap. It causes a crevice to open up. And we try to figure out why did it happen? Can I tell you that a lot of times you will not immediately find an answer? But yet there is still a gap. Adam and Eve had a gap between innocence and obedience. Jonah had a gap between God's way and Jonah's way. Hello, somebody. Have you ever had a gap between your will and God's will? God, this would be the perfect way to do it. And God says, nope. Abraham had a gap between faith and fear. Isaac found himself standing in a large gap between Abraham and Jacob. Jacob had a gap between honesty and deception. Moses had a, a gap between aggression and gentleness. Sometimes he was losing his temper and striking the rock and killing an Egyptian guard. And other times he was standing in the gap between God and the nation of Israel. Pleading for mercy. Samson had a gap between anointing and iniquity. David had a gap between lust and self-discipline. Paul had to mine the gap between pride and humility, and he wrote about it very honestly in the book of Romans and in other of his writings. No one, my friend, is exempt in this life from the gaps and the crevices of our flesh. The proclivities and the paradoxes in our own persona that perplex us and causes us to proverbially scratch our head and say, why, why? And the gap is created. So the question before us all today is, how do we mine the gap? How do we manage the gap? Dare I say, how do we close the gap? Well, the answer is always in the Word of God. And so we look to one single scripture from the Old Testament prophet. Where God said, I looked for a man to stand in the gap. Before that, in Ezekiel 13, 5, he said, Ye have not gone up into the gaps. The gaps are there, but you're avoiding the gaps. You've not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand. There's the... There's the same word, stand again. To stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, the very first thing that you do to mind the gap is to make up in your mind that you're going to stand. 
I'm going to stand in the battle. I'm not going to run from it. I'm not going to blame it on somebody else. I'm not going to bury my head and pretend it doesn't exist. But here's what I'm making up in my mind. In the midst of these inconsistencies, I'm going to stand in the gap. In the midst of these questions, I'm going to stand in the gap. I don't know why I'm going through this. I don't know why God's allowing me to go through this season of my life. I don't understand everything happening even in my own house. But I'm made up in my mind. I'm going to stand in the gap. I'm going to stand for righteousness. I'm going to stand for faithfulness. I'm going to stand for what God has put in my spirit. And I'm not going to let anything stop me from standing. Well, you got to stand in the gap. If we were to stay with this World War II analogy, the first thing that Europe needed was a Winston Churchill that would stand in the gap and say, we're not going to negotiate with Hitler. We're not going to do it. Everybody else said, we got to figure out a way to negotiate. Winston Churchill, he had all kinds of faults and failings and gaps in his own personal political success and failures and he was not a polished politician to say the very least and yet he was the guy Europe needed at that time Neville Chamberlain the prime minister before him he he went and tried to negotiate with Hitler you can't negotiate with a madman I can't believe people that try to negotiate with the devil The devil comes up in your house and starts to destroy your home and you start giving in and say, well, I'll let a little of this happen, a little bit of that happen, thinking that you're going to appease evil. You can't do it. I don't understand these people that have pet snakes in their house. What's the matter with you? My friend, Brother Joel Urshan, that pastors up in Cincinnati, he told me about a big old snake that they had up there in... uh, in Cincinnati and uh, they called tried to figure out why the people that lived in Cincinnati had this this big old boa constrictor and the thing ran around the house like a pet and slept up in the bed with them and all and they started getting worried about this boa constrictor because he started getting longer and started getting fatter and they thought maybe he'd gotten clogged up on something and so they took him down there to to the Cincinnati Zoo to figure out what's going on with this thing and they said, what's, what's, how does this snake live? And they talked about how it lived up in the house and, and ran all around and crawled and crawled up in the bed at night and all of that. And they said, well, where is it going? And anyhow, they started finding out what it did. And they said, let me tell you what this snake is doing. This snake is enlarging itself and making itself larger because it's getting ready to take somebody out in the family. And so before it eats one of y'all, it starts to enlarge itself. The Bible said hell hath enlarged itself. It's trying to get big enough to swallow up you and your family. And you let that thing run around in your house. You let that garbage come in on your television and movies and your kids play that music. Somebody got to stand in the gap. Not on my watch. Not in this hour. Somebody's got to stand for righteousness. Somebody's got to stand up and say, we will not negotiate with the devil. Boy, 
boy, I tell you what, the British had 300,000 soldiers trapped over there at Dunkirk on the edge of France. And they said, we don't think we can get them out. France is through this blitzkrieg, this German panzer forces who come down through the woods and came down through Belgium. And everybody was just laying down, getting out of the way, laying down. Armistice, France, come down here. And even people within his own his own uh, country said, you're going to have to negotiate. You're going to have to negotiate, Churchill. You're naive. You don't realize what you're facing. Churchill said, you can't negotiate with a tiger when you got your head in its mouth. We got to figure out how to get them off the beaches. The boat's gone. The German Air Force is coming in. We can't even keep up with the German Air Force. They're bombing all the ships and all that. They commissioned all that. Everybody wants to take your own private boat, your own. Everybody get everybody's boats. Everybody go across the English Channel and get as many of them as you can. They were like, that's a suicide mission. They were wanting to remove him. They had talking to the king. You got to get him out of there. He's going to kill all of Europe. We got to negotiate. We got to go find Hitler and see if Hitler will be nice to us. Made up in his mind, we're going to stand in the gap. I think God had his hand in this. Because when all them little ships went over there to try to rescue them soldiers, guess what? There was a huge cloud cover that came over that whole area as they evacuated 300,000 soldiers off the banks of Dunkirk. I'm going to tell you what, you can say that's coincidence if you want to. But I'm going to tell you what, God stands in the gap when evil... You don't even realize it. You don't even realize it in your home. Evil has tried to take over your home, your marriage, and your kids. And you have no idea. But God has given you a cover. There's an anointing. There's a cloud cover. Like the children of Israel out in the wilderness. That's covering your home and your mind and your health and your finances. God just needs to know, will you stand in the gap? We're not going to negotiate with the devil. We know what's right, and we're going to stand our ground. I said, I just needed somebody that'd stand in the gap. Amen. I'm going to get pastoral right now. God help us in America. We need men, even if it's one, that'll stand up in his own home and say, we're going to go to church on Sunday. We're not going to let our minds be filled with all kind of garbage. We're not going to go visit your Aunt Betty and Uncle Earl and everybody else. It's Sunday. We're going to church. Somebody that'll take a stand. You know, so many times we want to be popular. We want our kids to love us. We want our wife to love us. We want everybody to love us. God made you to be a man, to stand up and be a man. Sometimes that means you got to say, you know what? I believe God has called this house to stand for righteousness. So we're going to do some things that you may not understand. But somebody has got to stand in the gap. Stand up and be counted. I 
I didn't, I didn't mean for this to be a, a men's conference, but I'm just feeling this, so I'm going to go ahead and go with it. Why should the women be the spiritual leaders? Why should the women be the prayer warriors? There's this notion going around, even among Christianity, that women are the ones that really know how to get a hold of God, and women are the ones that pray. And, and I think that's office. I think that's awesome. We got 2,000 plus women that just came back from a women's conference. I'm still looking for them. They're quiet this morning. They've been worshiping all weekend. They get home and you don't hear anything. I don't know what happened. I heard it was a great conference, but... They got 2,500 women that gather, but in the men's conference, they got 1,000. Why? Well, boys will be boys and men. You don't like to be emotional. Oh, hogwash. Men, you ought to lead your family in worship. Well, I'm not the worshiping kind. Well, you need to learn to be the worshiping kind. David was a warrior. David was a giant killer. But David was a worshiper. We need some men that will stand up and say, hey, I'm going to worship. I'm going to lead my family in worship. I'm going to lead my family in prayer. So Churchill said, we're going to fight them on the beaches. Well, how? I don't know. We're just going to do it. We'll fight them on the streets. We'll fight them on the landing shores. We'll just fight wherever we can. We're not ever going to give up. We're just going to stand in the gap. We got a gap right now. Hitler's marching across Europe. Nobody knows what to do with him. But guess what? On this little island, (laughs) we're just going to stand. Big old bulldog church here. Big old cigar walking around. Fight him in the landing yard. They all thought he had lost his mind. My dad was telling me that he had read in the Bible about the the king. Who was it? Cyrus. Cyrus. He had read, if you read his memoirs, Churchill had read in 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 the Bible about Cyrus. And he got his inspiration from the Bible that, you know what, we're just going to take a stand. Say, well, you think Churchill could get any inspiration from Scripture? I think God can use anybody. I think God, God could use Donald Trump with all of his gaps. He's got a lot of gaps. But he is willing to fight everybody at the same time. I think God can use somebody like that. I'm hoping God will use somebody to stand for righteousness if it's got to come from the White House or the schoolhouse or the church house or America or Africa or Asia. Somebody somewhere has got to stand up. God said, I'm looking for a man. I'm looking for a man. Somebody that will say, I don't know how we're going to do it, but we'll fight them on the beaches. We'll fight them on the shore. We're not going to give up our children. We're not going to give up our culture. To sin. Oh my goodness, I got to hurry. I haven't even got to my sermon yet. <laughs> Ephesians eleven eleven. Put on the whole armor of God. 
Why? What do you put all this armor on for? That you will be able to stand. What are you putting on armor? You're putting on armor so you can withstand all the fiery darts and everything that's going to get thrown at you. You can't just get out there and stand and say, well, here I am. You get shot at. You got to have some armor. Got to put on the helmet of salvation. Got to put on the breastplate of righteousness. You got to arm yourself with your sword. There's armor that's described in Ephesians. And then in the 13th verse, it says, wherefore take unto you the whole armor. Don't leave any of it at home that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. How many of you know we're living in an evil day? Having done all to stand. They go, Pastor, I'd like to, but I got so many gaps in my life. I don't, I, I just don't feel like I have any moral authority. I got, I got that issue and this problem. I know you're not where you want to be, but bless God, you're not where you used to be. So stand. Stand. I don't know how all this is going to work out. All I know is that I'm going to keep on doing what I know to do. I'm going to put one foot in front of the other. We're going to go to the house of God. We're going to keep on believing. We're going to keep on praying. We're going to keep on reading our Bible. God told Moses, stand still. And see the salvation of God. Sometimes you can be running here and there and everywhere. But you just got to stand. In the gap. Right in the middle of it. It's a gap, but it's my gap. Joseph had to stand in the gap of false accusation. Sometimes you'll stand in the gap and it seems like the gap's getting wider. He's trying to stand for righteousness and then give in to the advances of Potiphar's wife and they threw him in prison. The gap widens. What gap? Well, I was, when I was a kid, he gave me a dream. I was do this and that. And my son, my brother sells me into slavery. And then, then I get doing pretty good in Potiphar's house and, and then I get thrown into prison and Every time I take a stand, the gap widens. You don't have to raise your hand, but we've all felt that way before. You try to do what's right and it gets worse. You've got to realize something. The gap is just for a season of time. Daniel had to take a stand in the gap of peer pressure and jealousy of, of all of his contemporaries. But he said, I'm going to keep on praying. I don't care if they do try to trap me. We're going to keep on doing what we know to do because we've got to stand in the gap. The second thing that you have to do is you've got to stand for a cause that's bigger than yourself. Because here's what God told Ezekiel. Stand in the gap before me for the land. Do it for the sake of the land. For something that's going to live longer than you. So many times we just, we just standing in the gap or we're trying to manage a gap that is a gap in our own personal preference or personal comfort. But you got to stand in a gap and you got to make up the hedge for a cause that is bigger than yourself. And as long as you're only living for yourself, the gaps are going to get wider. But when you start living for a greater cause, you start living for the cause of Christ, 
the gap starts to close. I was thinking about this in terms of Isaac, and I was thinking about how Isaac was the son of Abraham, the father of the faithful, and how Isaac had to be faithful too, because, you know, his father took him up there to Mount Moriah, and they, he wanted to know where the fire and the sacrifice was, and he just said, the Lord will provide. And they're making this journey, and Isaac's like, yeah, the Lord will provide. There's a lot of gaps in the story, even from his own dad. Lord, we've done this before. We've always had a sacrifice. How is this going to work? And they made their way up there. And at some point, Isaac figures out, this is not looking good for me. There's a gap. And you know, Abraham was old before Isaac was born. So Isaac's a young, strong man now. and Abraham's not getting younger. I have to believe that Isaac could have rebelled at some point and said, no, 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 no. I've seen this, how this works, you know, with killing lambs and so forth. I, I really not wanting to be the sacrifice. That big old dagger in his dad's hand. Isaac had a lot of character, though. He had to submit to the process as well. And you don't hear a lot of Isaac. You hear about a lot of Abraham. And of course, you know, Isaac ends up getting married and, and then is... Him and his wife have twins, Jacob and Esau. And the Bible says that he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Isaac kind of was in this gap between a great father and twin sons. He said, I must be Isaac. I got this gap between a great father and twin sons. Then I got to thinking more about it. And when they went and found Isaac's wife, they went to a faraway land and found somebody from their own ancestors. Well, we moved to Palm Bay. We lived in Port St. Joe, Florida. We found Sister Amy from the faraway land of Tallahassee, the land of the Seminoles. But it was the land of my ancestors. That's all back. That's in my neck of the woods up there. And then I got to thinking about how Rebecca, Isaac's wife, had this great spirit of giving and was a servant and watered all the camels and all that of family that went down there looking for and trying to find a, a wife for Isaac and they figured out that she made over 200 trips way down in the well to bring this water up. and She was being kind even to strangers. It's like, oh my God, I married Rebecca. That's my wife. She's always helping somebody even if she doesn't know them. And this lady, Rebecca, took care of the camels that came from Isaac's house. I've never owned a camel, but I thought about how Amy took care of my dog, Dexter, when I used to go overseas. And he was big enough. He was like a camel. He was huge. I got to thinking about Isaac, and I got to thinking about, Isaac, what did you do to contribute to this whole thing? Because if you're supposed to be an Isaac, David, you need to figure out what you need to do. Abraham, great father. 
tried to kill me when I was young through punishment and whippings and everything. We never had a Mount Moriah, but sometimes we'd go to the back room on Dale Avenue and I would say, Dad, where's the sacrifice? Where's the... I thank God for every whipping. I wish I probably needed more. <laughs> now I got a great wife that's got her spirit of Rebecca, and I got twin sons. And so, Isaac, what did you do? And I'm reading about Isaac. What did Isaac do? He's got all these gaps. How did Isaac manage the gaps? And I got to reading that after his father passed away and the Philistines started testing him. They went and filled up all the wells of their father, Abraham, and they filled them all up with dirt trying to put him out of business. Because if you don't have water, you can't water your cattle and your, your animals. And, uh, and that's, you know, that was your wealth. That, you, you're out of business. Do you know what the Bible said that Isaac did? Isaac went and dug all the dirt out of the wells. He didn't go and dig new wells. He knew that the wells that his father had built were wells that gave forth water. Living water. So all I got to do is keep the dirt out of the well. Here's what Isaiah said. Therefore with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. Sometimes you got to stand in the gap and you got to fight for your own joy. you got to fight for your own peace of mind. you got to realize, hey, the enemy's trying to put a lot of dirt and a lot of garbage and trying to get me distracted, but I'm made up in my mind. I'm going to pass the baton from one generation to the next. And if I'll just do my part. And keep a good spirit and keep the joy of the Lord as my strength and let the waters flow. It'll multiply. Because Abraham had one son, Isaac. Isaac had twins, and then from Jacob came the 12 tribes. And you go forward in Israel and millions of people. Because one guy had to cover a generational gap and take what had been given to him from his father. Sometimes, folks, the enemy wants to beat you up and make you feel like you're not doing anything with your life. All the dreams that when you were younger of what would be accomplished, he wants to make you feel like that you're insignificant. But if you'll be committed to a cause that's bigger than you, Say, here's what I can do. Here's my part in the equation. I can fight for the joy of the Lord. It's my strength. And when the enemy comes in and wants to totally take out those refreshing waters that have been passed to me from past generations, I can stand in the gap and I can dig the dirt out and I can say the Lord is good and His mercy endure forever. Got to mind the gap. There's a lot of times we have gaps. Can't manage everything like we would want to. 
Your children are young. You can guard and protect. They're young and they're close to the shoreline. As they get older, they're going out and across that North Atlantic and can't watch every single thing. Feel vulnerable. Feel exposed. What you got to realize is that there are liberators that are flying overhead. There's long-range angels that are flying overhead. And they go where you can't go. If you and I can just stand in the gap for righteousness. God, I don't understand everything, but here's what I do know. You looked for a man that would stand in the gap. So I'm going to just take a stand. I'm going to take a stand and I'm going to be committed to a cause that's bigger than myself. And then finally... Here's the third thing as you're standing to your feet. The third thing he said is this. That I should not destroy it. I look for one who would stand in the gap before me for the land. That I should not destroy it. Needed someone that could mine the gap. How do you do it? You stand... For a cause that's bigger than you. And then finally, you stand for the sake of victory. That the outcome will be different than it would have been without you. That I should not destroy it. How do we do that? I feel the Holy Ghost in this house today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Some of you have been patrolling for years. Don't run out of gas. Just got to figure out a way to get more fuel on board. You say, Pastor, what's the fuel? The fuel is the Spirit of God. 
we've all got an exposure to the outpouring of the Spirit of God, but I think sometime we're trying to live on blessings from 30 years ago. God's wanting to give us a double portion. When they modified those B-24s, they had to take one of those bays that were used for bombing and say, we're not going to bomb anymore. Not with this bay. We're going to put extra fuel tanks in here because we got a bigger purpose. We need to have more fuel on board. Elisha prayed and said, I need a double portion. I don't want just what Elijah had. Because I got 50 sons of the prophet that are on the other side of Jordan that are waiting for me. And I got more evil to stand in this day than what my mentor Elijah had. So God, I'm asking for a double portion. Ten virgins that waited for the bridegroom. Five were foolish. Five were wise. They both had oil, but some had extra Are we only living on spiritual minimum requirements? Or is there somebody that will say, you know what? I've been using one of my bomb bays to hurt people, destroy. I've been using my mouth to hurt others through criticism. I think I'm going to change that and turn it around. and I'm going to use that bay door for worship and praise. I'm not interested in criticizing or condemning or hurting others. I've decided I'm going to bless the Lord because I need more fuel on board. I decided I'm going to glorify God because I need more fuel. I need more Holy Ghost today than I had yesterday. I've got to get enough to get to the other side. I can't run out of gas in the middle of the Atlantic. I've got to have enough to get all the way to the shores of glory. My question to you today is this. Do you just want a little splash of the Holy Ghost? I felt better going to church this morning. Or is there somebody that wants to be filled from the top of their head to the soles of their feet? Every crack, every crevice, every gap in this body, in this mind, I want it to be saturated and overflowing with the joy of the Lord. I gotta go 3,000 miles. I gotta be able to have a longer range. I've gotta go beyond because I gotta cover the gaps. Some of you have been filled with the Holy Ghost before, but feel like God's asking you do you want more? You want a double portion? It's kept you to this point, but do you know what's facing you when you go out those doors in just a few moments? There's going to be some Arctic conditions out there. There's going to be some gaps and things that you couldn't prepare for. If you got enough Holy Ghost, you can get through it. You hear what I'm telling you? The liberators are going to come through. 
And the devil's got to call off the wolf pack because they said every time we send U-boats, every time we send demons after that family, they pray more, they worship harder, they jump higher, they give more. So just go back home because it's not getting any better. They're getting stronger. The supplies are getting to the other side. The enemy attacks you. You know what you ought to do? You ought to start witnessing to people. <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah! Devil, you come my way, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to start teaching a Bible study. That'll mess up the devil. His U-boats have to do a U-turn. That's pretty good right there. I don't care whether you like it or not. That's good stuff. <laughs> God has strengthened and blessed this church so much. God's calling us now to go to the extra mile. We need some very long-range liberators. Thank you, Brother Anthony. We need, we need some people that will say, God, I want a double portion. More of you, God. Thank you, Lord, because you brought me to this point. But we got unsaved children and we got, we got gaps and we refuse to just say that's the way it's going to be. He said, if you just stand in the gap, I can liberate this world. that I can do it. I will not destroy them. And if the church can just get more, the darkness will be pushed back. Sin has to go into retreat. Do you realize the power that you have with God? I want to ask everyone to be there gathered around this front. I wonder right now if you'd lift your hands and would you lift your voice? And whatever you normally do in your prayer at this front of this building, I wonder if you'd go the extra mile today. I wonder if you'd worship a little louder. I wonder if you'd pray with more sincerity. I wonder if you'd speak in tongues a little more fervently. Come on, God said, I'm going to give you what you need to get all the way to the other side. I'm the author and the finisher of your faith. I'm not going to take you out in the middle of the Atlantic and lose you there. You've got to get to heaven. You've got to get to the other side. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I don't understand it all, God, but I will bless your name.
what I feel in the Holy Ghost this morning. Give me just a few moments. We don't have service tonight, but I feel to do this. When we used to fill those, when we used to fill those fuel tanks in those airplanes, we used to have to sup the bottom of it because you can have water condensation that develops in gas cans. And water's heavier than the fuel. It can go to the bottom, get in your line, and on takeoff, you can have trouble. So you had to always sup the tanks, meaning that you had to get all the, the garbage out so the fuel could flow without interference in the fuel lines. And then when you'd fill those tanks, you'd fill them up. And the way you knew they were full is that fuel comes out of the top of the gas tank. I believe that when you and I are filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and we speak in other tongues, it is the overflow. It's the overflow. It's the splash over effect. I feel this in the Holy Ghost right now. I know that God can, through his word, cleanse us and take all the impurities out of the fuel line. I understand that. I feel like God's doing that right now. But I believe that our part should be that if we have the Holy Ghost, we ought to lift our hands and through the overflow of speaking in tongues, we ought to lift up our voice right now and to know that our tanks are, fu- are full before we leave here today. That we would begin to speak out what God has put in our hearts right now. If you've received the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues, I want you to lift your hands and I want you to lift your voice right now. And I want you to begin to speak out in a heavenly language. If you've never received the gift of the Holy Ghost, if you'll begin to worship God right now, You'll begin to worship God right now. God will fill you with the gift of the Holy Ghost. 